and our guest is a New York Times best-selling author uh, and he's also seen his work uh, turn into like a docudrama on HBO he's had numerous numerous publications one of them is Boys Will Be Boys on the 1990s Dallas Cowboys Dynasty Dynasty Jeff Perlman Jeff uh, honestly man it's it's an honor to have you on the show and um Thank you so much for taking the time to, to join us on what is, I'm presuming, early evening where you are. Does it make it less of an honor that if I tell you I'm sitting in my bed? I seen like the back end, I was like, oh, it, it's it's grand. Don't worry, it's fine. Right, like You should see some of this, like seriously, Jeff, like there's times where we're either like in hotel rooms or coffee shops and stuff. So it's grand. Uh, first off, warm welcome in. Have you, ever, have you ever been to Ireland, Jeff? Have you any connection to this little island? Or I know Irish people that 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 help at all i have not i have not the closest i've come is uh is england so yeah sorry, not, off the show is that it for me no <laughs> not, not not yet maybe we'll be able to entice you to to come, to come on to. over hey i'd love uh, to i suppose jeff we're a nation of storytellers on on this little island and storytelling is your job and I, I've heard you say, you know, that your your family had zero interest in sports, but I, I suppose I'm interested in knowing in terms of like was storytelling something you were always interested in, or where did that emerge from? Like, what was your journey towards becoming an author? Well, I had a really big moment when I was a kid. I was 14 years old, and my dad, my dad is a uh, the term here. I don't know if they say there's a, is he's a headhunter, which is. He's an executive search. He does like matches people up with jobs and they use the term he's a headhunter. And um, he wrote, he self-published a book called Conquering the Corporate Career. And he didn't have a publisher. So again, he made up his own pretend publishing company called Kimberly Press. He wrote the book. He hired his own editor. And um, he dedicated to me, my brother, and my mom. And um, it came out. And I thought it was the most amazing thing ever. And I remember we had a local bookstore in the, we had a local mall, the Jefferson Valley Mall. And inside the mall was a Walden Books. And they agreed to carry his book. And it would be in the back in the business section. We would go into the bookstore, go into the back, get the one copy of Conquering the Corporate Career, move it to the bestseller section. You go back maybe an hour later, the clerk knows his book does not belong here. We come back in, we move it to the bestseller section. And I just was so dazzled by my dad writing a book and having this tangible thing. I just remember being blown away. And, you know, of all the little moments you have, that might have been the most profound for me um, when it came to writing books, at least. Jeff, uh, prior to going to work for the newspaper and obviously then writing the books, you had your seven year stint with Sports Illustrated. Um, one particular one that stands out is the Johnny Rocker interview. Do you want to talk about your, your period there and obviously that particular interview? Yeah, I was a baseball writer at Sports Illustrated, and um, I basically started my career. I graduated from the University of Delaware, started my career at a newspaper, the Nashville Tennessean in Tennessee, and then got hired at Sports Illustrated, worked my way up, was a baseball writer. Um, I'm sure five people in Ireland have ever heard of John Rocker, but he was a baseball player for the Atlanta Braves back in the 1990s. Horrible guy, kind of a racist, you know, homophobic, xenophobic, everything. And... I was assigned to write a story about him. I was just a feature writer with an emphasis on baseball. And I went down to Georgia where he's from to hang out with him. His agent told me, you're going to love this guy. He's the best. And you know, we're dri I'm driving around with him and two minutes into our drive, he's telling me how Asian women can't drive because there's a car in front of us that's swerving. And he's like, ah, Asian women, they can't drive. 
And it turns out it was a white guy driving the car. And the whole day was him. He called a black teammate a fat monkey. He talked about gays. He talked about foreigners. Just ugly, ugly, ugly. And I wrote the story. He probably thought we were just two white guys in a car, two buddies. I did not think of it that way. Wrote the story, came out, blew up. He wound up getting suspended, demoted, fined. But it kind of, I guess, in a way, gave me name recognition and sort of sent me on my way. And that was shortly before I left the magazine to start doing books. Really intriguing story. I've never heard of that myself tonight. Um, Google, John that, I, I, you Google John Rocker. You Google John Rocker. You're like, oh, very entertaining. Yeah. I, I, no, I, I definitely will. Sorry, I definitely will. Um, one thing that I did Google and I seen um, Jeff was the amount of effort that you put into your pieces. The fact that you interview six, seven hundred people. How much of a challenge is that for you? I mean, it's it's obviously amazing for us or for someone that reads your work to see that and see the the amount of effort that you put into that. And I guess it gives that fair balance as well to your work as well. I mean, I really enjoy that part of it. Like the writing is the hardest part. The reporting is sort of the fun. And I like getting old media guides. So like my new book on Bo Jackson, he played he played for the Kansas City Royals and he played for the Los Angeles Raiders and he played at Auburn University in his college in Alabama. And I like getting the old media guides. I buy them on eBay. I go through them. I go through every name. And then I try to find every name. And you're not going to, if I interview, I interviewed like for this new book, I interviewed 720 people. But that means I probably reached out to 2000 people. And you hope enough people talk to you. I just love it. I love the search. I love finding stories nobody finds. I love hearing stories no one has told in 30 years. Um, I always say like, like with a famous athlete, we'll just say Brett Favre. I wrote a Brett Favre book. I used to say the guy, the, the running back who's in training camp with the Packers for two weeks from some small school, well, Brett Favre probably isn't going to remember him, but that guy's going to remember his one experience with Brett Favre. Maybe Brett Favre handed him a granola bar. Maybe Brett Favre pinched him in the ass. Maybe Brett Favre sang a song to him. He's going to remember that. And those stories really add up. So I'm a big fan of, I, I kind of view it as like just collecting stories. Jeff, I'm a big fan of uh, Boys Will Be Boys, but also uh, football for a buck. And the, the USFL, it's not something that we were all that familiar with in Ireland, certainly at the, the time. But reading uh, your book, I mean, the swagger, the celebrations, the, the upstart league that's well, unfortunately, ultimately quashed uh, by kind of greed and stupidity. I know that like you you taught you mentioned it earlier and I've heard you say before, like writing is a chore, um, but but having written um is, is fantastic. And I know that this book was something of a passion project for you. And so you talked earlier just there about like the research that you do. I'm wondering when it came to to looking into the USFL, was that fun to research that to have that opportunity to call up those who were involved in it to get the the stories about greg fields and uh and others it was great it was the best it was my dream book my everyone told me nobody wants a usfl book nobody wants a usfl book nobody's going to care i didn't care i knew the stories were great it also helped it wound up being a bestseller and part of it is because the guy who ruined the league was the owner of the new jersey generals some jackass named Donald Trump who would just truly ruin the USFL in every way possible, used it, saw it as a gateway to get an NFL team. It didn't work and he just kicked it to the curb. So reporting was a joy. The stories are, it's the only, it's the only league I've ever written about where a guy was put on the injured list 
because his penis was accidentally slammed in a trunk. Like that's a US of L in a nutshell. And um, or in a trunk. And uh the the timing with Trump was a was in a way a bonus. So I wish he'd never won this election, but there was a there was someone to talk about. But the joy of it, think about the US of L, unlike the NFL, there's a lot of guys on their last chances. So there's a lot of guys who were working construction, maybe were working in an account, accounting firm, but dreamed of playing professional football. And this league came along. So when you interview guys like that, it's like asking someone about their bar mitzvah or about summer camp or their wedding. It's like this joyful memory. So it was just joyful time after joyful time. I loved it. I'm, I'm, ju- I'm just wondering, Jeff, then in terms of what, not, not, any, not any of the specific leagues per se, but we're, we're seeing the emergence of kind of new kind of spring leagues. And obviously pr- years ago you had NFL Europe and things like that. But with the NFL becoming a kind of a bigger spectacle, almost this year-round spectacle where they you know, there's a song and dance about the draft and then there's all yeah. the coverage about training camps. Is there a space, do you think, for those kind of a developmental league? I think probably not. I think the only way it could possibly work, and nobody's taking my advice, is you have to be in B markets where the NFL isn't. It's the only way I can imagine it working. Like, I always thought there's no NFL team in Memphis. Memphis, Tennessee is a big, it's a mid-sized to big city. There's no NFL team there. Um, there's no NFL team in San Antonio, Texas. There's no NFL team in White Plains, New York. Like there are these markets where maybe it could work, but again, like you sort of touched on, the NFL has become a, a 12 month, 24 seven. Like when the USFL came along, there was no NFL network. Nobody cared about the off season combines. Free agency wasn't what it wasn't what it is now. It's just a different, it's become 24 7, 365. So I think it'd be very, very hard for a real football league to break through. Jeff, we were previewing the Bears game earlier for tomorrow night. We know a lot of Bears fans that are traveling over today to attend the game. Um, the Bears have a huge support in Ireland, and it all dates back really to 85, in particular when they won the Super Bowl. And you had the, the Walter Payton experience and unearthing that his date of birth, in fact, was a year earlier and how he's such a complicated man. Can you talk to us about that experience and working with him? Yeah, first of all, I'm amazed there are Bears fans anywhere after all these years of crappy football. Uh, <laughs> and Justin Fields, I mean, it's not not looking the best right now. Um, I mean, Walter Payton, I grew up with Walter Payton's poster on my wall. You know, I mean, I'm 50 years old, so when Walter Payton was running, he was a man. And that book was... Um, one of the, if not the hardest book I've ever written, definitely in the top two, probably the hardest because um, it's the first guy and only guy I've written about that was birthed to death. You know, he died at 46 years old. Um, it was a deep, deep dive. His life was very complicated, especially after he retired. Uh, he wrote a lot of suicidal notes. He was very depressed. He had business ventures fall through. He was probably addicted to painkillers. Um, at his Hall of Fame induction ceremony, his wife was in row one and his girlfriend was in row three and they didn't know the other one was going to be there. It was just all sorts of drama. And the thing about writing about a beloved icon is people don't always want to see the flaws of their heroes. Like that's a huge issue. Like you can't, writing biography means writing a full true story. But a lot of people, especially with sports, they kind of just want to know that the guy's great. They just want to know that he's awesome and oh, he's so cool. Is he as cool as I? Is he as cool as I thought? Yeah, man, he's just as cool as you thought. He never farts. He doesn't drink, and he doesn't go to the bathroom. Like it's just, it doesn't exist the way people want. So it was very the backlash to that book when it came out. There's a lot of backlash 
because um, people probably didn't want to know all the details about such a beloved figure. Jeff, I'm going to just bounce on what you, Colin was talking to you about a second ago. We had Mr. Goodell close to home here last weekend. Yep. He was in London um, right. and he brought up the possibility of a division in Europe. Now, look, I personally think that's insane. I, I'm happy enough with, with a few games. I mean, to have the Packers over here last weekend for any doubters or naysayers about a game over a game overseas was um, was unbelievable. It was an incredible atmosphere. Do you think the whole thing about the divisions is is just nuts? Do you think think you do you think we could ever see it? And what's just your general thoughts on that? I think um, London is probably the next city that the that the NFL is going to want to have a team in. So. I don't know if you're going to have an actual division of European teams, but I do think you will have an NFL team in London within the next decade, whenever they decide to expand. Usually they expand by two. So I could see London and I don't know, whatever, Vancouver. Maybe they go into the Canadian market. I have no idea. But I do. I don't know. I don't. I just don't know if there are enough. Are there enough countries that would support an NFL franchise? And deliver fifty thousand fans a game. I don't know. It'd be it'd be a huge defeat for the NFL to do it and pull. Like the NBA went into Toronto and Vancouver about two decades ago, and Vancouver was an utter failure, and that was an embarrassment for the NBA. So I do think if they do, I think London would work. I think London would work right now, but I'm not so sure. You guys would know better than I would. I don't see where the other four markets are where you could have a legit European division. Well, the, as the NFL is certainly very popular on, on these shores, but as uh, you mentioned earlier, baseball kind of never really took off. Uh, so, um, you know, I suppose our familiarity with Bo Jackson is Tecmo Bowl, Bo Jackson. It's it's the meme that that lives across the the Atlantic, yep. and you know we see the the highlights. But you know your um, newest book, the the last folk hero, the the life and myth of Bo Jackson. What can you share with us to maybe whet the appetites of uh, Irish audiences? The greatest athlete who's ever walked the earth. I mean, he did things. In a, if you Here's what you have to do. If you don't know who Bo Jackson is or you've never heard of him or you think, I don't care, do a two-second YouTube search of Bo Jackson climbing wall. And there's this play against the Baltimore Orioles when he's an outfielder for the Kansas City Royals, the team he played for, where Bo hit deep and he runs toward the wall and he runs up the wall runs across the wall, runs down the wall. Do you guys, do you even know of this? I have, I, this? Yeah, I have I've seen you talk about it, so I, I have checked it, yes. It's ludicrous. Like, it's ludicrous. Or do Bo Jackson bat knee and him breaking bats over his knee or his helmet? He was preposterous. Or do Bo Jackson Monday Night Football and see him carving up the Seahawks on Monday Night Football? He was just a different level athlete than anyone we've ever seen. And I'm including LeBron James. I'm including Michael Jordan. I'm including Michael Phelps, Ian Thorpe, whoever you want to name. He just did everything. It's such a, and he, and he was a, uh, in college, he was a, you know, um, borderline Olympic sprinter who just didn't put the time into running. He's just the greatest athlete who ever lived. I, I don't care what anyone says. I will win that argument. He's the greatest athlete who ever lived. And you have a, a piece, uh, Jeff, on your, your website, I suppose, that you're talking about like the, the narrative and, and the what if that exists because of his injury. But I've mm -hmm. also seen you kind of 
ruminate on, on Twitter maybe in terms of the 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 injury possibly you know gave Bo a better life than maybe some of the other vets who've come out of the the NFL having played a full career and I'm just wondering you know what are your thoughts on that right now right now given I suppose what we've seen over the past couple of weeks with with Tua with Hines in the the game last Thursday I think any any NFL player who can get out after three years is very wise I look at guys like Barry Sanders, who retired voluntarily, and I think that was really intelligent. Um, I look at a guy like Bo Jackson. It sucks that he had his hip pulled out of his socket, but it's just not natural. Look, I love football. I do, and I feel guilty about it half the time. But it is not natural to have your head slamming into people, slamming into people, slamming into people, someone hitting you. It's just not natural. And the thing about being a sports writer over here who has written a lot about football is you just meet far too many people whose lives have been ravaged because they play the game. And everyone says, well, they have a choice. You don't have to play. Well, when you're 22 years old and you come from poverty and you happen to be really good at this game and this could change the life of your family, you're going to do it. And it's understandable. You're going to just like baseball players who came here and used steroids. Well, you come from the Dominican Republic and your dad makes a dollar a day making bread like you're going to do it. So I get it, but there it's, I just think, yeah, I look at a guy like Bo Jackson and I think you, you're so lucky that you didn't play 10 years in the NFL. Cause I've, I've yet to meet an NFL veteran of more than a couple of years who doesn't at the very least have horrible knees or horrible arthritis and far too many of them can't remember where they left their keys five minutes ago. Jeff, um, you've been very consistent and supportive of Daniel Jones in, over the past couple of years in terms of what you think of him as a quarterback. You feel that he's been put in a bad position, whether it's offensive line, the, mm-hmm. the players put around him. We were there fourth hand on Sunday in London at the game. We, he, was, he had a really impressive game. He seems to be really settling down this year. Where you stand on rookies coming into the league? You know, you just you spoke with Justin Fields earlier in terms of the struggles he has. He's been parachuted in last year to Chicago and others have had to do the same. Are you Would you be more keen on seeing players given the opportunity to settle into an environment, get to know the, the frame of the team over the year before they make that step up? Yeah, I mean, I just think if you look at the history of quarterbacks in the NFL, I know it's changed. My, the thing that's changed is now all these colleges run pro offenses. So you do have a lot of guys like Josh Allen at Wyoming. He was throwing with three and four wide receivers. So he's not. he wasn't just handing off or running a wing T offense. But I do think... Like the reason I never gave up on Daniel Jones, and I'm not saying I may be wrong, but the reason I never gave up is number one, he played at Duke, which wasn't a football powerhouse. Um, he was basically thrown pretty much right into it early on, Eli Manning's last year. Um, and like he played for a bunch of crappy coaches with a lot of crappy talent around him. And if you watch that, I'm not saying he's going to be Joe Montana, but you watch that guy play. He's very mobile. He has a strong arm. Give him some supporting cast, and I think he's pretty good. I do think there's also a real advantage, especially with quarterbacks sitting for a year or two years or even three years, learning the offense, learning the nuance of the game, and then taking over. It just doesn't happen anymore, but I think it would be hugely beneficial. I think Trevor Lawrence would have had a much better year last year if he were sitting behind a Joe Flacco or whoever and just learning the game and learning the nuances, but he was thrown into this horrible crap show. Jeff, your newest book, which is called The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. For people listening to this podcast, if you live in the Republic of Ireland, 
geographically you can go to amazon and get it delivered from the us hardcover or you can get it online on kindle now if you're in the uk you cannot get a hardcover at the moment however you can get the audiobook or kindle i'm sure jeff will work on that uh, jeff perlman.com and uh, jeff i am going to order this now i'm really looking forward to reading it and really appreciate your time sir i feel like we could bring you on again in the off season for like a five-hour chat about uh, baseball or anything man i appreciate it let's uh Let's hope for the best for my New York Jets. They're actually good this year. Kind of good this year. Not terrible this year. So let's hope. Will they win on Sunday? Last question. Will they win against Green Bay? No. No. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Jeff, uh, JeffPerlman.com. Do check that out, folks, on Amazon. Thanks so much for coming on, Jeff, and have a great All weekend, right. man. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you.